This episode of the Last King Podcast is brought to you by Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, keeping the sky safe over France. Pip, pip. Hello. Tom Hardy. Hello, Tom Hardy. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> we are back. Yes, after, this is yeah another uh, awesome episode of the Lasting Podcast. We haven't been cancelled yet, but we have been shifted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, our, uh, our lovely masters decided uh, you know we weren't good enough for this. We, 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 need, we need to go back to our roots apparently. Yeah. So we're back to back in the garage, yeah. back in the space station, back in the the other space station. Wait, wait. We were doing all this talking. We forgot to introduce ourselves. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Uh, you'll recognize me as Tom Hardy. <laughs> Now this is Dr. Shafiq along with Eccentric Tom Hardy. <laughs> another Tom, another Tom. The yeah. real Tom. The uh, real Tom. And as you can guess uh, by uh, this current running joke we have, we're going to be definitely reviewing the blockbuster of the week of the summer, probably the one film to catch. Hey, hey, let's not forget Mr. Toffee's here still. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Pop down, pop down. Mr. Tom Tom Toffee. Tom Toffee. Mr. Tom Toffee. Mr. Toffee. Uh, hello. No, no, but yeah, we're going to be talking about Dunkirk. Which dropped like about a week ago as of this recording. Yeah. And not only that, uh, we also had Valerian come out. We also had Baby Driver come out. So for the week here in Singapore, lots of films, lots of reasons for you to leave the house and go and uh, enjoy yourselves at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like um, also, we kind of missed out on the reviewing Planet of the Apes, unfortunately. Yeah. So we could have a short review. How we about can do that? It, yeah, like, no. I gotta ask you guys, how was it? Oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. You know, really it's, good movie. It's just like Logan, but less hairy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you want to watch a movie about like a big hairy dude like traveling with a small little girl to find the promised land, watch Logan. Or you can watch Planet of the Apes. Yeah, Same yeah. Thing, really. it's, it's a good little send-off for, you know, um, Andy Serkis's really good motion cap stuff. Yeah, oh, yes. going I would on. say like the one thing about this, right? That orangutan just looks so believable. Oh, yeah. absolutely! And also, they actually have a shit flinging for the first time in the series. Yes! So yeah. we yeah. called it yeah. <laughs> at the end of the three episode. There was shit flinging, and I also especially love the fact that you know it was punctuated with the line from the guard, like "Oh, you animals!" <laughs> Call back to the. That's what I love about these Planet of the Apes movies yeah. because they respect and they also reference uh, the original. No, you know, quadrilogy. There was four of them, yeah. Yeah. You know, and of course they totally shit on the Tim Burton remake. No. No, no. Yeah. Reimagining, according to his. Or reboot. Oh, that, no, is he said a reimagining. Reimagining. He yeah. coined the term. Which Who coined reimagining? He did. Tim he Burton. Did. Oh, wow. When well, he promote the movie before it came out. Because uh, back then, reboot, <laughs> remake. Yeah, reimagining. He said reimagining. Yes. Uh, whatever. I mean, like, nah, I'm not gonna question his ability to imagine. He has made some amazing, <laughs> amazing films, and except uh, that one, except and that he. Means. Convince Helena Bonham Carter to marry him. So uh, good job for you. Uh, you have, you have. Uh, last thing we need is like Edward's hands too. Or it's gonna happen. He's gonna have to go back to the well at some point. Yeah, and Johnny Depp needs the money anyway. Uh, <laughs> before we get depressed with that stuff happening, in let's get more depressed with Valerian. Like you know a little bit about San Diego Comic Con. You can maybe just. Talk a little tiny bit about it, about what, what happened okay. or something that picked your so, interest. So uh, let's go through very quickly. Thor Ragnar- Ragnarok looks awesome but trippy. Justice League looks eh. Ready Player One looks Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Young Justice Season 3 It's a thing It's gonna oh, happen okay. Well at least some cool. good news from DC Because yes. basically like the Infinity War trailer mm, Not really a trailer They released posters only right No that's Avengers Yeah. No, oh, they, they did War, yeah. show a clip But we only have like the bootleg versions But the hey, Did y'all catch a chance to see that? The bootlegs? No they, they, they were taken down like 3, 4 times I only times. managed to catch yeah. the Black Panther one And like to me it's like Alright that looks like a fun movie No <laughs> I mean I 
uh, I saw the part where um, the Guardians pick up Thor. So that's kind of a spoiler for how Ragnarok's gonna end, I feel. Or maybe... Like if he's floating in space. Right? Ooh, Shafiq, uh, there's also like a few announcements for DC Animated stuff. They're gonna do Gotham by Gaslight and yet another death in Return of Superman. Movie. Which we don't need. Well, they're gonna split it into two parts and make it just as authentic, so who knows? Because maybe. The, but the problem with that announcement is the fact that we're entering a Justice League movie without Superman and we're all still kind of thinking about the death of Superman and then all of a sudden there's this news about how they need to digitally remove his moustache. Uh, that I is don't know the about that. best news I've ever seen because <laughs> he's doing Mission Impossible 6. Oh yeah, another fucking Mission Impossible film is coming out. Yeah, and they're spending $25 million on reshoots for Justice League because Joss Whedon needs to fix whatever mess um, um, Snyder? Snyder left behind. <laughs> and anyway, no, but like, the thing is about San Diego Comic Con, right? I hate the fact that at this point of time that it's turned into this giant media frenzy. It's not even about comic books or fans anymore. It's, it's, still, it's about the Marvel and DC cinematic universe. It's just about yeah. announcements. So. And even worse now, it's come to the point where it's gone full circle up its own ass. It's announcements about True, announcements. Yeah. To be honest, since 2006-07, I can see a bit of that happening, but it came full circle when Iron Man 2 came out. Definitely. And Iron Man 3. Like, once Marvel started the ball rolling, right? It yeah. turned into this giant, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say I don't care about Comic-Con. I mean, it has its place and it has its purpose. But at the same time, I kind of miss the, the, the old days when... Oh, remember when the convention was about fans yeah. getting together? I remember when it was just about comics sometimes instead of the movies coming in? Remember? And it wasn't about queuing for three days to get into Whole H. Yeah. yeah, it was queuing for like 30 minutes to get a Michael Jai White signature. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to an eventual Spawn reboot. <laughs> Hopefully. It took about three hours oh, no, until I got my... Um, yeah. McFarlane actually so. said he's going to direct it as well. Don't. Yeah. Don't. It's gonna be shit. <laughs> mm, I don't yeah. know. I mean, give it to somebody who really... I mean, yeah, he created the franchise, but give it to a fan. Because a fan will actually take it to another level. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? But it, If we're gonna talk about shit, we're gonna have to save that for the next segment that we have. Which course, is... You know, Valerian. Valerian. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Now, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm gonna ask the questions. The, the hard-hitting questions. Hard-hitting questions? Yeah. Is this going to... Is this the next... Fifth element? No. Fuck no. No, no. Not, not by a mile, not by a fourth element. N not even by a long shot. Not even by a Chris Tucker element. No. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's pretty. It's really pretty. I agree, yeah. I mean, fantastic art direction, but that's always been Luc Besson's strong point. He's always been visually a fantastic director. It's just that he can't direct people, scripts, uh, motivations, anything else. Like, he'd be a great cinematographer. You just shouldn't be in a director's seat. I would say, yeah, a great cinematographer, a great action director, because what I felt mostly when I was watching this film was basically he had, he didn't have a cohesive story in mind, but he had scenes and set pieces, and he was just like literally struggling to piece them all together, because there's a lot of moments in the Valerian film especially, like you feel like, this is so out of place, or so yeah. unnecessary, and the film is bloated as fuck, you know. It is, there's so many unnecessary uh, segues into just random stuff, like, they contrived a way for Cara Delevingne to get kidnapped just so they can have a scene where Rihanna doing the Umbrella music video again. <laughs> okay, so Cara Delevingne is the Laureline second protagonist, Laureline, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Dave Dahan is the first. Dane Dahan, Dane is, Dahan is the titular character. Yeah, he's <laughs> swashbuckling, uh, you know, lady killer, super pilots. I can see a hint of sarcasm when you said those few words, so I'm because guessing he's not a lead main character. I, I like Dane Dahan. I think he's a really underappreciated actor. He I, was good in Chronicle. Oh no, he was great in Chronicle, and the, I think that he was almost good as Harry Osborn. 
Mm, kinda. Kinda, until he became the goblin. Yeah, that's when, uh, well, that's when Mark Webb stopped giving a shit as well. So, <laughs> but then okay. again, he had some of the worst lines. Well, we're in still Spider-Man shitting on Amazing Spider Man 2. We will forever be shitting on yeah. Amazing Spider Man 2. With my dying breath, I will be saying, oh, Amazing Spider Man 2 was really bad. <laughs> no, but. So, yeah, so in this Valerian. I mean, he's okay, but he wasn't right for the role. Cara Delevingne is not a good actor. She shouldn't try anymore. I mean, it was bad enough in Suicide Squad where she was Enchantress, like, doing <laughs> like the, the dancing, doing the, the body popping the entire time. No, but the thing is, she was kind of decent. Was that movie Paper Towns? You know? Uh, uh, I haven't seen that one. It's alright. Wait, I mean, she was in Paper Towns? Uh-huh. I, can't rem- I can't remember. It's just basically this movie about a guy who loves a girl and the girl happens to be Cara Delevingne. Mm. Well, yeah. anyone fall in love with Cara Delevingne? I mean, have you seen her photo shoots? Not- have yeah, you seen yeah, her yeah. eyebrows, bro? Imagine the rest of her. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> those sharp angles, man. Yep, yep. Oh man. Oh yeah. Up to her thighs. <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> so this is the last game podcast. Uh, we're not gonna A classy sh- podcast. Okay. <laughs> now, since we're going to spoiler territory for Valerian, <laughs> maybe you can explain one or two scenes which like felt like padding. I would say this: we're gonna spoil the fuck out of all three movies. Today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but, disclosure. Disclosure. Yeah. So yeah, you know, if if you haven't seen any of these films, okay, just avoid Valerian. Watch the other two, but you know, still listen to us anyway. Yeah. 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 We're now, awesome. We're awesome. At this point in time, I would say this: uh, the main problem with uh, Valerian's story, right? It's like it's very simple, but somehow they make it convoluted. Yeah. Because it's basically about this uh, Dane DeHaan character Valerian discovering some creature, the mule converter or something, right? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and then and like this alien race wants that thing to go and rebuild their world because that's where the converter comes from. The converter is not a device; it's a little creature, like a really who shits out pearls. Yeah, <laughs> like powerful pearls. So it's like one of those weird tropes in sci-fi where you see this tiny shiny thing, and everyone's like. Fascinating! This is so awesome. Like it's a fucking pearl. It's Nibbler's poo from Futurama. Oh, okay, yeah, literally okay. that. Yeah, it's dark matter. What, whatever it is, you know, it's something that could rebuild the universe. But unfortunately, uh, Valerian's uh, agency has other plans. Uh, Clive Owen apparently wants the mule converter for himself. Ah, but why? Okay, I'm not gonna spoil that. You know, even if I spoil it, it doesn't really matter because story-wise, he wanted to cover up a war crime he did, like. 30 years it's ago something you can actually guess from a mile away per se well we not, not even guess they tell you okay. yeah they, they tell you but also as soon as he walks in your clavon is the kind of guy where you know there's something shady about him even when he's a protagonist <laughs> he just kind of walks in like i don't trust that dude like, there's something about him he's clavon yeah exactly he's clavon yes no, but I, I would say also another thing about uh, valerian um so everybody's kind of hyping up on the fact that this was based on an classic French comic. Yeah. And yeah, I, the, the comic that actually predated Star Wars, which actually influenced, influenced Star Wars, Wars and science fiction, yeah. among yeah. other things. And like, to me, um, there's moments where I felt like, I think I had a discussion with uh, Tom earlier, is like, we felt that Luke Besson was trying to stay true to a lot of moments in the comic book series, and he was just struggling to piece them all together. Yeah. And so it was kind of, stru- it's like, basically falling under the, the weight of its legacy. Yeah. In a sense where it's, um, I want to show all of this, because the fans will love this, but also at the same time, like, Luke Besson is like, I don't know how to do it, hopefully my style will win over substance, and no. And that's, he's always been that way, even Fifth Element, which I do appreciate it for what it is, but it's still definitely style over substance in every aspect. I mean, it's a fun movie, but oh, yeah. it doesn't hold up at all. No. No, and like the thing about Valerian is like, 
I mean, even the way they marketed this, it was like from the director of the fulfillment. Yeah. And like, Lucy, two movies you shouldn't really mention in the same sentence. Yeah. It's like people saying, are "Oh, they not, did you they like they Lucy?" <laughs> well, not really. Well, do you love this film? I didn't like Lucy. You love this movie. <laughs> but you know how it'd be even stranger if they said, "Oh, from the director of The Professional, La Femme Nikita." Hmm. One yeah. of those movies. Those are good movies. So this is a good movie. No. 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 So what actually happened to Luke Besson anyway from doing The Professional to? Then you see Lucy, and then you see now. Because he became, happened. I think he became deified in France, so now he can do no wrong. So he just does whatever he wants. Like the thing is, I think ever since the Fifth Element, he is on this role of he needs to create these giant epic science fiction blockbusters. Like I mean, he did also the Invisibles. He did. Uh, I think I can't think of anything else besides that. Right? Yeah, I'm not Wasabi, but that was a long time ago. Right? Yeah, but yeah. and the thing is, it's just making me realize I miss old Luke Besson. Like the guy who did La Femme de Quita, the guy who did The Professional, the guy who did Taxi. Oh yeah, Taxi. Jesus I Christ. That. You know? Oh yeah. You know, and at the same time, it's like, okay, here is a director who is definitely trying new things or he has now the resources to try new things, but unfortunately, he's kind of losing his original voice. Yeah, and what's really unfortunate is that this is actually an indie movie. He raised a lot of the money by himself. This by is not studio-led. Yeah. Wow. So only he is, I mean, It's literally you are to blame for the success of this film. <laughs> yeah, and it was an expensive movie. Apparently, the budget was two hundred and nine million dollars, and because he doesn't have massive name actors in there, I think it all went to the special effects department. Mm. And, and it, it shows. It, it shows. shows, but you know, I feel like someone else should have taken the reins in the story direction. And it was written by him as well, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, needs a scriptwriter, a proper oh, one, right? Yeah, but I, I think he, he might be one of those people where he doesn't believe he's not a good storyteller, and no one's around to tell him. Or maybe him no. also, as you said, like it's constraints of the budget. Like yeah. he, he couldn't afford a good scriptwriter, or he couldn't afford reshoots. Like this is what it is, based on the amount of money he was able to put together. Yeah, and I would say this, right? I mean, also probably the reasoning for the casting choices, because the yeah. casting choices is the one thing that would bother you. Like Dane DeHaan, good actor, but As a swashbuckling science fiction leading man, it's you can't buy him as that. I can't buy him as because he's not handsome enough. He's not built enough. He's this scrawny little dude. And they're trying to say well, he's like this, you know, strong, capable individual. And, and then you look at him on screen. Yeah, he looks like I could snap him in half. And I'm not exactly you know at my peak uh, athletic level. And I think the main problem is right. We live in a world where Guardians of the Galaxy exists. Yeah. And you look over the other side, you see Chris Pratt as a swashbuckling, handsome, like sci-fi badass. And you look at Dane DeHaan, like even scenes when Dane DeHaan is going toe to toe with Clive Owen, and he's like, he looks like a 15 year old boy. He does, yeah. <laughs> he looks exactly the same as he did in Chronicle, and that's now a five. And he's a 31 year old man. He's 31. He's 31 with a kid. He's married. Sir. Oh my god. Oh, wow. okay. <laughs> Gotta have to build up that physique, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Or maybe even be a better actor. But oh yeah, actually, yeah, actually charisma also plays a part. You can be like there's... a regular dude, but. It's all about the dialogue I and how you present your words. You hit it right there. He doesn't have the charisma to pull off this kind of character. Absolutely not. Yeah. Because there's a lot of moments where he's like, instead of showing you, he's just explaining to you like, oh, I'm a great pilot. Oh, I'm a, I'm yeah. like, I'm amazing. We have no reason to b- buy any of his bullshit. Like the one time he flies, he crashes the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, and the thing is, he has a very Like the dumbest line. Okay, there's a lot of dumb lines in this, yeah. right? But one of the dumbest line is okay. Spoilers during the Rihanna death scene. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, you're the best artist I've ever seen. Like you've only seen one. Yeah. <laughs> how how would you? Uh, what really? <sighs> And like, okay, but shout out to Rihanna for having another movie under her name. 
Yeah. What was her last battleship? battleship. Remember that piece of shit? <laughs> no, I don't. That's why. <laughs> she was a gunner or something, right? Yeah, she was like some like artillery sergeant or something. It was like yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah. you could say, would you say she's a standout in the film? No, oh. she's not terrible. She appears for exactly five minutes, and only so that she can provide Dane DeHaan's character Valerian with a costume. Yeah, <laughs> just to rescue because Laura she's a shapeshifter. So she's a shapeshifter. He kind of, she kind of like sucks him up, and then they kind of walk around mm. as this big, bulbous kind of, kind of like a cross between Watto and uh, whatever the hell. And Patrick Starfish. Yeah, <laughs> <Patrick> <laughs> much. I would say that. Yeah, and if anything, like okay, I mean, we have to just stress on the fact that visually, aesthetically, all the things that you want to see in the trailer happens in the first twenty minutes, and then after that is nothing but the confines of this. Uh, what was that place called again? The City of a Thousand Planets or something. Yeah, it's called Alpha. Yeah, Alpha. Yeah. And and the thing is, you don't you. I was expecting that the most because in the trailers you saw all these different worlds: an underwater world, a mining world, like this an amazing beach world. And when you see the film, like, oh, here's all those scenery you've seen in the teaser and in the trailer. Okay, now let's just stick to the confines of the corridors and all the <laughs> the passageways of this spaceship. Like, oh, yeah, okay. and it's especially egregious because when they're arriving at Alpha, they for some reason, as if they've never been there before, they ask, you know, give us like the tourist 101 and said, oh, we have, you know, the gas part where all your know, gaseous space life forms are, we have the underwater world, we have this world, and we have the human world. It's like the opening of uh, Ghouls and Ghosts where like, here's the world and now you're going to go through it. <laughs> and you're going to go through it for five minutes. And yeah, when, you, when you're describing the beach and all, I was like, wait, are you talking about Super Mario or are you talking about the actual Literally, movie? Yeah. Yeah. And that beach was a simulation. It was literally just them on the ship having an excuse to be half naked uh, it's okay. like hey look we have a supermodel as one of our co-stars I'm like oh. wearing a bikini but yeah. not really hiding that much anyway yeah very wavy girl yeah too much eyebrows but anyway uh, so. Valerian overall uh, Luke Besson go back to your roots uh, let me you know, make another s- a nice small movie about a killer against all odds or just yeah. make another taxi movie I mean they've been sure four and hey you know I like those films. Take take that concept, turn it into something yeah, different. I, oh, can you imagine a taxi based in the States? Just make crazy taxi. No, they've done it already. Oh, yeah? Yeah, with Jimmy Fallon. And oh, Queen Latifah was Queen in Latifah. too, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh. There was a taxi remake. It was terrible. Yeah. Then make another one. <laughs> make, make a better one. Yeah, a better remake. Right. Oh, God. So, with, final score for Valerian? Oh, uh, God. Uh, okay, as a Luc Besson fan... 2 upon 10. Wow. Nah, I mean, I'm 2 for the aesthetics. Okay, I'm Storytelling, character performances. Fair enough. I'm going to be a bit kinder and give it a 5. Because I'm comparing it to other films I've seen recently. Like It's better than The Mummy. Just because it's prettier and it's not so self-serious. But it's definitely not something I would ever recommend anyone go out and watch. I mean, if you like, like Luke Besson's art style, sure, maybe... Or just watch it at home, get a nice TV, and you'll have exactly the same experience. Mm. Like, so, more even, like a rented experience. Yeah, yeah, even the sound design isn't that good. That's something that I just realized was quite disappointing. Yeah, I agree also. Any examples? Like, what was this audio spotty? Were the not, cues off? I mean, it's not. it wasn't amateur, but it's just that, you know, it wasn't particularly inspired. Like, you know, whenever they had weapon firing, it sounded like very generic, like pew pew, or, you know, there's a, a scene which is in a trailer where this bus gets torn apart by mm-hmm. this, like, beast thing. And it doesn't sound impactful at all. And you compare it to, we'll talk later about Dunkirk, where mm. sound design was on fucking point. Yeah. And it's just yeah. such a disappointment. I mean, 
I agree with you totally, but my sound design, I mean, aesthetic-wise, yeah, I would say, I'll point out, sound design not so good, but the story and the characters, there's nothing for you to latch on to, mm-hmm. and as I, re- as I said before, Guardians of the Galaxy exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, watch right. People would rather watch that. Yeah, just then. rewatch Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 again, and you'll have exactly the same aesthetics, but with compelling characters and a decent storyline. Damn, damn. So yeah, there you have it. That is your review for Valerian and City of a Thousand Planets. So as we're going to take a short break, we, after this, we're going to go and check out Dunkirk and Baby Driver. Also Not in that order. Out. Yes, we're going to have even more Tom Hardy for action for you. So, too. Oh, yeah. Please stay tuned after these important messages. Uh, this is Tom Hardy from The Last King Podcast. Hello. I'm Tom from Hardy. <laughs> This is Tom Hardy, reminding you to listen to my favorite podcast, The Last King Podcast. And also, follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Last King Podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to them on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or iTunes. And of course, go to their website, thelastking.net. This has been Tom Hardy. Hello. Hello, this is Tom Hardy, welcoming you back to the second segment of The Last King Podcast. I'm Tom Hardy. Thank you, Tom Hardy. Can you please leave now? No. Oh, okay. Well, we're stuck with Tom Hardy for now. Yeah. Oh. And we're back! You <laughs> <laughs> just made this sound almost like the BBC for some reason. Hello. <laughs> no, but okay, speaking of the BBC, Baby Driver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> baby, baby, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've seen this film. You guys obviously have seen it because it's the latest Edgar Wright film. Uh-huh. After for so damn long, and we're not counting Ant-Man, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the last one was World's End, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, World's End. Officially. I thought, honestly, I'm mistaken. I, I, mis- I thought it was uh, Scott Pilgrim and... Uh, Versus the world, you know? That was such a long time ago. And a very underrated movie. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. underrated. Now, this one, it's about, like, you know, a guy named Baby. He's a getaway driver, settling his score and whatnot with Kevin Spacey, and he falls in love. And then shit happens from there. Plot is very simple, obviously. I mean, along the way, we've got, like, he's got different guys he has to work with and stuff. I mean, he's got John Hamm, he's got, um, yeah, Jimmy Fox's Bats, if I recall, that guy. Yeah. I forgot, uh, John John Hamm is Buddy, if I recall, right? Yeah, the... The, his, his, his yeah, name, yeah, his called buddy. All yeah. of them have B names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what's the name of uh, John Hamm's wife? Bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, doll or something? I forgot. Baby yeah, doll. Yeah. Baby doll, yeah. <laughs> Baby or something, or whatever. Uh, anyway, yeah. and then, we, then the love interest is Deborah, I believe. Yeah, Yeah, Deborah. And all shit hits the fan when, you know, ba- Baby decides to take his own path of sorts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way I feel watching this film is like, you expect a plot to actually turn out the way it did, but at the same time, this is Edgar Wright's baby yeah. so to speak like from the editing to the sound choice to the music especially absolutely this is how everything goes in sync with the action and everything and even the actors and the dialogue as well everything just sells it i mean i don't care if the plot was typical it's i just felt like this was my favorite movie of the year just because of how it was just done all put up together but maybe you guys have your thoughts about it too i just want to open the floor to you guys uh, yeah i mean it's a good movie it's even a great movie but I do have some issues with it. Uh, yeah, maybe you can bring it up. Like, what were your issues? I mean, uh, well, the main thing is, like you mentioned, the plot is very bare bones, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you sell it on what its strengths are, and you know, the story is just there to have something that ties together the action scenes, and that's fine. That's okay. And it's got the Edgar Wright twist, so it's not like, you know, Michael Bay's um, uh, massive erection about the U.S. military, but. I feel like there were some key scenes missing which would have tied it together a little bit more. 
I felt like it moved into the next action scene a bit too quickly, a bit too neatly. You didn't have enough like the proper respite to just kind of lets it sink in. Am I making sense? Um, you, do, you do in a sense, it's just that for me, watching this, I felt that everything just felt like I can just put two and two together really quick. Or maybe that's just the kind of films I do like per se. Like just something not it's not even, I mean it's choppy in a good way. Like yeah. oh you can just put two and two good because you if you if you actually stretch out a bit more it becomes sort of an atypical more typical uh, one last score kind of film. No, no, I agree. I'm I'm not saying that they should drag it out. I'm just saying that there are certain parts of dialogue which I felt like meant that later scenes again you know warning we're gonna spoil this yeah when kevin spacey does his about turn and starts helping baby at the end i don't feel like he earned that point where he was actually supporting the baby because for most of the film it was very obvious that he was holding him on a tight chain yeah yeah and had something hanging over him and he was this kind of scary mysterious gang lord kind of thing so him to suddenly turn around and you know, help him from the bottom of his heart, not because of any gain, because he knew he was finished as well. I mean, I yeah. felt like that was something which could have been explained with something else. Like, I don't know, maybe another moment he shares with Baby or... Uh, that time, okay, I remember that scene. I remember when I look at Kevin Spacey's face after hearing what Baby Driver said, it's like, I fell in love once and then just took out a shotgun and just went nuts. Yeah. And he got killed, yeah, but still, it was it was a good turnover moment per se. It was a good turnover. Because he sold it with his face, I guess, because... That's what they pay him the big bucks for. But it felt like a bit of a throwaway, that line. Like I don't know. It's... I, I didn't buy the emotion. And I'm not saying because it was Kevin Spacey, because Kevin Spacey delivered he as totally hell. He totally did, yeah. yeah. I just really think that on the cutting room floor, there's a scene which would have tied that, which maybe they cut because, I don't know, maybe it slowed down the plot too much, maybe it didn't fit in with the rest of the narrative. So I can understand why they cut it, but for me, that was missing. Something else which I do have an issue with, and I'm think you're going to disagree with me is that the main guy wasn't the best choice. Ansel Elgort as baby. Ansel yeah, Elgort. I'm, I've actually never seen his previous films to be honest. Yeah, this, I gotta confess. This might be it's one like, of his first. I mean, I don't think I've seen him before. I think he was in an old film called Fault on the Stars, I think. I would say... I, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Yes, him! Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he wasn't that good in that film either. <laughs> okay, I guess I don't have to watch that then. But, yeah. okay, but go on, explain, explain. It's just that I'm he does an okay job selling the character for what he is but it he doesn't have a lot of dialogue to kind of really express what he feels it has to sell it through like flashbacks and facial expressions and, expressions, and him listening to enjoying to his music because of the tinnitus problem yeah and, and also because of what happened to his mother yeah that too yeah, yeah but i felt like the kid they chose for him as young baby sold it better than the adults mm, okay and that's where i have an issue like you can't be out acted by a child unless you know it's Leanna Mormont <laughs> that's the only one which is allowed I don't know the way I see it like I actually bought Baby as that cypher character and then when he starts falling in love you see that him swinging around in a room with his foster black father and all oh, that yeah. and the mute guy and the way that he just wants to tie everything and not fuck things up even though he did in the end that actually worked out how it panned out like put yourself in your shoes for say if you're falling in love I think I've compared this guy together with uh, Shafiq's favourite main character in that film uh, Sing Street right I, really? okay, to be honest I watch the film I see some parallels to that like oh he just wants the, through the power of music somehow he actually gets through adversity per se yeah and that's fine but I think obviously that, here it's more extreme like, compared to Sing Street duh, yeah but. of course and you know I can understand where you're coming from but personally I would have gone for someone else someone 
who has a more murder face. Uh, I'm thinking of just off the top of my head, John Boyega has a much better range of like facial expressions. To, I could have sold that. Mm, that, we, that that's arguable, yeah. yeah because yeah. you know we've seen him moody and dark in Attack the Block. We've seen him as mm. scared and crazy in Star Wars. We're mm. gonna see him as I don't know, filling um, father's boots in um, Pacific Rim Pacific Two. Rim two. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Maybe his paycheck was higher compared to uh, Anton, yeah. that guy. <laughs> Possibly. Like, you know, after Star Wars, it's very hard to get yeah. those kind of people but in. But as it stands, what we got is a pretty decent cipher, per se. Like, yeah. he actually worked out pretty well, given that he has to act in that role that escalates further on, further on, per yeah. se. Yeah, and... Him me- actually being a man for once instead of being, like, a driver, right? So Being a baby. Yeah. But um, one final gripe I have is I feel like the his love interest was very poorly handled. Really? Mm, yeah, really? Yeah, and it's something that Edgar Wright has a problem with. Mm. He's not made a convincing and likable like female person to fall in love with since Shaun of the, the Dead. Dead yeah. mm. like, even uh, even Rosamund Pike, I guess, from World's End? No, no, uh, nah, not really. No, no, that, I didn't buy that at all. Like, even Ramona Flowers, I felt like, didn't quite sell as well as it should have done. I kind of preferred Knife's Child as... Actually, that was Edgar Wright's original ending. Knife's Child was supposed to be the love interest who... He felt, who yeah. Scott fell for in the end. Yeah, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the actress didn't quite sell it. Maybe the the, the the line she had didn't quite sell it. But I couldn't buy that romance. It felt a bit too convenient. I couldn't buy that she would fall in love with this quiet, awkward guy always with the headphones in. Because he's so mysterious, man. Yeah. I guess that's why. I mean, maybe it's just a hopeless romantic in me. But I felt that, okay, this is a guy who's obviously not from this world per se like he just acts different from someone and then next thing you know yeah this really nice sort of country-ish kind of woman like kind of buys into his quirks and then you kind of want to make sure that it continues on but then you got the circumstances happening in yeah but they could have they could have developed it more because she just became you know the tropish damsel in distress at the end she sort of helped out but yeah i know i see what i see where you're getting at yeah, yeah i definitely know also that. i can't believe she would have waited for this one guy she met over two days for five years well, when you're young and in love... Yeah, you do stupid shit. You get married at 25. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah. time for me to chime in, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I almost uh, forgot you were here. The thing is, uh, my thoughts on Baby Driver, basically... Um, here's the thing. I disagree with both of you, yeah. and I agree with both of you. Okay. Because what I feel mostly about Baby Driver is... Um, if you're looking for emotional depth or like strong character narrative, look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I think Edgar Wright set out to make one of the most stylish and the most vibrant and the most musically impactful films this year. Mm-hmm. And it is a very strong, I would say, I mean, since World's End, since probably Shaun of the Dead, you know, like you can see all his trademarks in Baby Driver. His music choices, his editing style, mm-hmm. his pacing. Yeah. And I agree that there are some scenes that feels a little bit empty, like some things could have been chopped off. But I also understand that Edgar Wright probably for the, for the service of pacing and for the service of keeping the things going and for just putting the action in front. Yeah. And like he did a spectacular job. I agree. I mean, like one of my problems with the film is, like uh, more so with your point of view is, I feel that this movie really misses the classic Simon Pegg Edgar Wright collaboration. Yeah. Or at least some heartfelt moment. Yeah, like there, there wasn't that moment, like like say from Shaun of the Dead, you know, when he like that line, like I don't want to shoot my best friend and my mom and my yeah on the same day all on the same day, or even that scene in Hot Fuzz when he has Nick Frost shoot into the air because he can't shoot his dad because mm-hmm. he loves him and all that stuff, right? And the thing is, a lot of the characters they go through proper arcs. Okay, they all have their redemption qualities and they also have their um, 
except for Jamie Foxx who gets yeah. taken out pretty spectacularly. That's yeah. quite yeah. a way. That to was finish an him awesome off. finisher. Yeah, yeah. and uh, like props to Jamie Foxx. You know, I mean, like he was not the standout for me. I would say it would be more John Hamm. Oh, okay. John Hamm so, is my standout. John Hamm, the, John Hamm to me was my favorite thing to watch because like I've seen him in Mad Men. I've seen him as a slightly psychotic, a little bit crazy dude. And then you see him in like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where he's like one of the most hilarious people ever. Hilarious <laughs> bad guys. Yeah. yeah. And he had, the best scene was basically him like asking like baby, you know, like, hey, what's your jam? What's your favorite track yeah. to listen to? And like when they name drop like fucking Queen with Brighton oh, Rock. Oh, yes. And like okay, one thing I will gush about is the choices for music. Absolutely, oh, it's it goes lovely. It's lovely. From the dam to Young MC to like like the opening track of Bell Bottoms by yes. the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Mm, yep. Yo, as a kid of the '90s, the 18-year-old version of me loved this. Yeah, and finishing with uh, Baby Driver by Simon and Garfunkel. Oh my God! Yeah, because obviously, yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they didn't man, they didn't name drop. Oh, I don't know how to find songs named Baby now because I'm dating someone named Baby and yeah. all that shit. Yeah, but also, hey, props to finding a song called Deborah by T Rex <laughs> or yeah. Trex, according to yeah. Ansel Elgert's character. But if anything, uh, Baby Driver to me is the best popcorn blockbuster movie this year. I would agree. I would. I say definitely agree with that. In yeah. terms of sheer entertainment and sheer quality of how you say. Um, Creating something that isn't a comic book superhero movie and isn't an overdrawn like I want to win an Oscar movie, something fun, you know? something yeah. fun yeah. that is sincere. Yeah. Now the problem I I think that's why I like about the film. It was sincere. Maybe hard was the wrong word for me to use. Mm-hmm. Like I agree with you that I need that Simon Pegg, Nick Frost. Yeah, I missed that moment. when I watched this movie. Yeah. Well, you sort of see that when I mean, but it's more of a badass kind of moment where I'm gonna pick you up. You know, when he was talking to. And he's trying to talk to Deborah, but he ends up getting the chef in the end. Oh, yeah. And that bit where you have John Hamm waiting in the diner with a gun underneath the newspaper, all that. Like, you've got this more of a badass rather than like a more traumatic moment. Because that, that's the kind of film it was trying to be, the, the one last score kind of film. So, mm. the way it's been presented and also done in a way, that sincere moment where you kind of want these guys to win because you love these two guys so much. I guess that's what I was feeling. I think at the moment, I mean, I watched the film twice. I liked it for what it was. Okay. Maybe it was like, that's why. But of course, if you break it down further and further, you can see a bit more nitpicking, a bit more problems surfacing. But I guess that's why I just bought into it. But what was your problem though, Shafiq? For Baby Driver? Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, firstly, I do miss the Simon Peck collaboration. Yeah. But the thing is, I also see this as Edgar Wright trying his best to stand out on his own and not like look back on his past successes. Yeah. Like He is leaving his stereotype, his trademarks. But he's still retaining his style his direction his framing and his, uh, obviously the editing and the pacing mm-hmm. I mean like just that one shot scene where like uh, baby driver is just dancing getting coffee and then you see like things pop up in the background that <laughs> yeah. match yeah. the words like oh, look at him like to me what I feel like he is straddling the line between style and substance a little bit too much because mm-hmm. there are moments where it's like okay this is fun to watch or this is cool but uh, like y- you have a voice and if you want to express it like to me this is Edgar Wright's Jackie Brown Okay. Like, he did some amazing work and this is the one thing that is like it's obviously a passion project something dear to yeah. him la, like dear to him because like I had uh, I felt like this was a script he wrote when he was a kid yeah like the 18 year old version of Edgar Wright wrote this movie and he thought you know, one day I'm gonna make this movie he shelved it did all these other things and since Ant-Man didn't like go the way it's supposed to then he finally like you know with the cloud and like his ability like he put this out there and it's like a, a very strong reminder like, hey, I'm also a working director. I can do other things besides, you know, British comedies with Simon Pegg. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm also a pretty decent action director. I'm a pretty decent, like, you know, dramatic director. 
So I'm very much looking forward to his future output. But also at the same time, it's like, um, this could be the stepping stone. And he, it's not a misstep. Absolutely this, not. No, no. Oh, not, oh God, not, no, it's not. By, yeah. but by, by everything, I mean, he did an amazing job. Yeah. So now it's just like, uh, pressure's on Edgar Wright. Okay, what are you going to do next? Yeah. What's going to be your Dark Knight, I guess? What? Yeah. Probably. Mm, yeah. And also, it, I would say, okay, he didn't get the superhero movie, and he's not going to work with uh, Simon Peck, or maybe he is. I don't know. I mean, don't retread. What's your next step and whatever it is, we're now going to be paying very close attention to you. Because yeah. the last time he uh, did something without his original uh, team from Space was the Scott Pilgrim movie. Mm. And that bombed. And it bombed, but it's such a good it's film. It's a good yeah. movie, but yeah, it. I think it was a marketing, wrong, wrong place, wrong time kind of issue. Yeah, I think I think Michael Cera can't be a lead. Yeah, that well, he worked alright as that lead because in the comics he's supposed to be weak. But anyway, that's not that's beside but, the like, point. He that's can't sell a movie. Yeah, no, that, that's that's. Uh, no, I mean, we're still not. I mean, maybe we should just focus back on Baby Driver for now. Yeah. Um, so I would say, okay, sorry. I just want to say one thing. Uh, you mentioned he's a good action um, director. Some of the best casting chase scenes I've seen in a long time in Since this film. Since Blues Brother or Heat. Nah, it didn't beat Blues Brothers. <laughs> well, okay. no, yeah, like, nothing will ever beat Blues yeah. Brothers chase scene because yeah. it's just the peak of surreal yeah. nonsense. <laughs> but it's just. It's e still damn good. It's Everything damn good. about it is perfect. You know the the music cues. You know the tight uh, angle shots, so you really see like how up and close it gets. And then you have yeah. the nice wide angle ones to give you a sense of the, you know how well he seems to know the city and everywhere to drive around it. And also, they're really showing that he has complete control over his car. Mm -hmm. uh, the way he brakes just when he needs to, he shifts just when he needs to. He actually has a shift car. He doesn't drive automatic. That's yeah. a big plus one in my book. Oh, proper GTA stuff, yeah. huh? Absolutely. And of anything, I would say, like, okay, the car scenes are amazing. Okay, the, the random action scenes, just him dancing uh, down the street, That's getting all coffee. That's good stuff. That's fun. I mean, That's like, so good. And also, like, that Edgar, uh, the Edgar Wright trademark of, like, you know, even when he just taps his fingers on the, the table to mm. the piano. Yeah. And, it, like, he's constantly reminding you that all of these elements are interlocking. Because if there's anything I want to gush about, it's the choice of music. You oh know, yeah, the choice cuts. You know, an yeah. amazing playlist. You know, and like, also like, just seeing a guy who knows what his style is and just executing it flawlessly. I mean, that's the best thing about Baby Driver. Because if you're like a film fan or you're you're an Edgar Wright fan, you're like looking at this and you're thinking to yourself like, look at this guy enjoying himself. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's a good wash over like the debacle that was Ant Man. Mm -hmm. It's mm. nice to see him kind of in the driver's seat, pun intended, yes. <laughs> of a film and like just doing what he really wants to do and enjoying yeah. himself. Like that's one thing that I would say, Baby Driver, a little bit paper thin on the story. Yeah. Oh, definitely. definitely. No, but you know that should not be the main like a problem. Yeah, you know what I mean. The, the cause of concern like he wanted to do something stylish he pulled it off and I would say this to me probably the most fun experience I had in the movie like even more fun than Guardians of the Galaxy for me really? Right. Yeah. final rating no, I would watch this yeah. over and over again actually me too I would do that yeah. okay so what are your final ratings guys? I'm gonna give it a 9 out of 10 one, of my, out of, 10? one of my better picks for this year cause okay. I don't know I, there's nothing that stood out I mean maybe Guardians of the Galaxy maybe but Nothing else, I don't know. Like, like Guardians of the Galaxy would fight in terms of music choice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, in fact, both directors actually had to call each other out to make sure that their playlist is not, <laughs> is not Too similar. similar. Yeah. I can imagine that. Yeah. Uh, how would you have loved if Fleetwood Max The Chain appeared in Baby Driver? They'll be like, oh, oh snap, <laughs> well, it's on, bitch. <laughs> I mean, if they included the break, it would have been a much better movie. If they included the way it just, like, you know, crescendos yeah. at the end. Yeah. Oy. What about your rating, guys? 
Uh, why don't you go first? I'm gonna give it a nice, healthy eight upon ten. Okay. Very, very good. Um, I really liked it. Just don't get me wrong. Don't mm -hmm. attack me for this, but I am gonna give it a seven because I had fun. Great film, but the things that I complained about, it was just a bit too glaring for me. And then upon reflection, I can't, in my right mind, give it, you know, a higher rating because. I was a bit harsh on Guardians as well, so mm. I need to be consistent. In oh, yeah, of course, of course. So, no, like, no say I want you, then, like yeah. a B minus or a B. Uh, I would say it's a solid B. I, you know, it's definitely you know you can see where it could have been outstanding, but there are just certain things where I don't know whether it's because of limitations that Edgar Wright has or something else which didn't quite work. I would still say you should go see this in the movie. This yes, is definitely yeah. something you should see on the big screen. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are better movies out there right now which I would say if you had to choose between the two you'd go for the next film we're going to talk about wonderful yeah. segue right there yep. so very good very we good. shall have our uh, friend Tom Hardy introduce us <laughs> no we should I should stop that joke right <laughs> no, now no no bring him on bring him on hello I'm Tom Hardy uh, we're going to be talking about Dunkirk now so uh, if you're English or if you're a little bit upset about World War 2 please uh, uh, steer away from this podcast <laughs> this is Tom Hardy okay thanks a lot Tom Hardy yeah, yeah. bye bye like, please guys are on your way out Hello. Yes. <laughs> no, but okay. The 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 blockbuster, the megaton bomb that dropped, was Dunkirk. And everybody's talking about this film. Everyone hyped up about and it. And because a, it's Christopher Nolan making a making every time he makes a movie, it's a fucking event. People pay attention. Yeah, yeah it's just the thing where everyone sits down, shuts up, and watches the Nolan movie of that year. And it's probably his first war film. It is his first war yeah. film, and I think it probably will be his only war film. And he's even said it's not. Strictly, he's made it more as a thriller. Like you can tell because it's a PG thirteen cut. Yeah. There's not a lot of blood. There's not a lot of gore. Which is one of my complaints, actually. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay, I either hear this. I would yeah. say that that uh, adds to it, but uh, I'm just gonna start and say, wow, was this movie amazing? I am just blown away just how much I took so much away from this movie. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it in the same way that I enjoyed Baby Driver, but I came out of that movie a different man. That's just how much it impacted me. There's a lot of tense things going on there, man. It's just tension, and it's also very closely tied to, you know... The You're English. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it is close to home, in the yeah, sense. Yeah, it's a large part of our identity, especially in recent history. And it's good that we finally made a big blockbuster movie about it. They made one other movie, I think, in the 70s. Great Escape? No. It's also called Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that was a while ago, wasn't it? In the 50s? So this is a remake. <laughs> Te technically. Or a reimagining. Yeah, but... We won this time. <laughs> uh, damn you, Tim Burton. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm Tim Burton. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Hello, I'm Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> I've been flinging shit. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah. Back to seriousness. Back, back to seriousness. Um, yeah, on every aspect I can think of, this movie just knocks it out of the park in terms of, you know, just bare bones, the, the setting, beautifully done. You know, Nolan is a stickler for accuracy. You know, he actually got legitimate Spitfires from the 40s. Mm -hmm. He brought them out for this film. To he, actually fly in the air. Yeah, to actually yeah. fly. Not he, CGI, that's an actual that's Spitfighter. That's an actual plane. <laughs> he, he probably, I don't know, somehow managed to get a real destroyer from the Navy for this film, somehow. <laughs> He's got strings, yo. <laughs> Just to sink it. <laughs> Even the train at the very end is historically accurate. You know, the beers they get through the window at the very end. That's, Ooh, yeah. you know, that's the beers that you would buy in 1940s England. Nice. You know, 
you know, the costume design, the hairstyles, the way that people talk to each other when they talk. It's a very silent movie. Sound design, wow. Yeah, like, I saw wow. this in Atmos. Uh, Shafiq, you've seen that. I saw in this in IMAX. IMAX. Yeah. Those yo, gunshots, yo, damn. Yeah. It's like everything about ears. it. You know, even Nolan has a way of making silence impactful. Yeah, like just the quiet, the rustle, like the footsteps in the sound, just complete quiet. And then you hear the slow crescendo, like soundtrack as well. Yeah, a very bad. Hans bones. Zimmer does what Hans Zimmer yeah. does best. Exactly. Yeah. Well. Hans Zimmer does whatever his uh, studio lackeys do best. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole uh, pocket watch ticking motif oh, thing going God, on. Yeah, so good. It's just, I don't think I've had a film hit me with sound design as well since, I can't remember, this is probably the best sound design I've ever heard. Mm. Again, I've seen fewer films than you two have because, you know, I'm a young bastard, but... No, I mean, I agree. Like, in terms of the modern film uh, landscape, like, to me... This is freaking This good. is yeah. some of the best sound design and some of the best soundtracking and scoring I've heard in a while. Even better than probably, like, the Joker motif from Dark Knight. Mm, oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's outpacing his own work at this point, which yeah. is... Which is good, because yeah. like, he could have been, like, John Williams or Danny Elfman yeah. and just rehash themselves. Yeah, exactly. What I also appreciate from Dunkirk is it just starts off straight away. Like, oh, yeah. Four minutes in, boom, your first, head sh- your first shot, and guys, the, your main character's running the hell away. God, those were in that yeah. little empty town. And yeah. it doesn't let up for yeah. most of the movie. It's just pure pure tension the entire yeah. time and he does you know i want to see christopher nolan do a horror movie next because he knows how to make him yeah this he, is a pg-13 but it's fucking trill as fuck yeah, you know claustrophobic too you know? he follows the number one rule which is never show the monster and yeah. we never see the german forces one because historically they weren't that close to dunkirk they yeah. kept a wide berth but secondly also it just adds to the tension because it's that unseeable threat the, the only, fear of the unknown right? Yeah. fear of the unknown yes yeah, the only time you see any is when you see the Messerschmitts or the Stukas and you don't even see the submarines because obviously you don't yeah, the submarines yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit yeah. Yeah, I, I just realised I said something very stupid like, let's move it's on okay, very it's quickly okay, yeah. you know, unless the director <laughs> would have put a the camera the on the ninjas water. of yeah. the ship world <laughs> yeah and yeah I want to talk about the beginning scene as well because it's there's no late title card it's just like you know you see the studio logo Dunkirk we're in Dunkirk, yep. and you have all these flyers like coming down. Well, we surround you, right? Yeah, yeah it's a brilliant opening shot. Yeah, right? it's just like good, you, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's no dialogue. There's no you know corny narrative. There's no like you know subtitles setting the scene. It sort of sets up. I mean, it's trying to get away from what war films have done before, character building per se. Yeah, before the war starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's Nolan saying, okay, this is how people have done it. This is my way, and I'm gonna show you how you do it perfectly my, well. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to scream about this later, I can tell. <laughs> but even casting-wise, I was initially worried when I saw Harry Styles. <laughs> and is it because of his past yeah. history? So who is Harry Styles for fans of The Last King? Yeah, I don't you? know who Harry Styles is. Harry Styles is one of the members of the band that was One Direction. I think what you meant to say was he's the only successful solo artist from One Direction. Oh. <laughs> it's okay, Zane. It's okay. Don't worry. Who's Zane? <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so Harry Styles appears in this movie very early on. Yeah. And he plays a snotty British guy. Yeah, he, he plays like, <laughs> this wimpy character just trying to get home. He, he's kind of despicable, but in a kind of empathetic kind of way. You know that he's been through some bad shit. He's just so, trying to survive. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, he doesn't 
do it better than Cillian Murphy because no one does Haunted yeah. better than Cillian Murphy. I agree. Yes. But everyone was cast perfectly well. You know, the I think guess the biggest names are Tom Hardy and Kenneth Branagh. And Cillian Murphy. And Murphy. Yeah. Well, that's arguable because I feel like outside of people who love Cillian Murphy, people don't know who he is. He's from 28 Days Later, Sunshine. A lot of He's amazing Scarecrow. movies. He was a Scarecrow <laughs> And he was Scarecrow, movies. but you know, compare that to Tom Hardy. Who he was is... the Mark in Inception. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm sticking to my guns, damn it. Like, stop trying to undermine me. Okay, I mean, okay. I, the thing is, like, out of all the actors, the guy who stands out to me was that old guy on Mark the boat. Mark Rylan. Mark Rylan. Jesus Christ. I... I believe you when you play. He, We've got to do our duty and all that. I actually, yeah, that was very good. Yeah, I mean, very, very well, well just acted. Just the quiet acting. determination of a man who wants to do his part because he's too old to serve. He obviously isn't good with his hands, so he can't work in a factory. He can't produce. This is his time to really contribute to the yeah, war effort. To shine. And yeah. also because, which will be revealed later. Okay, again, boys and girls, spoilers. Massive spoilers. Yeah. His son dies early on in the war. So we know, und- we understand his reasoning, and it's done so perfectly well. Yeah, yeah, and it's almost a throwaway, but it's the good kind of where they don't stop the film to say, he lost a son. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, this happened. This is why. Yeah. yeah. So like, it makes sense, but we're not going to dwell on it too much because the main thing is right now we have a lot of young, scared British boys who need to get home. They have to come home. Like, historically, these were guys like 18 to 25, right? Younger even, if they... if they um, You can enlist at 16 or something. Right? Uh, no, you could just lie. And... Eh. Yeah, and... Just like that nine-year-old... The screening kid. process, yeah, well, yeah. not that accurate. Yeah. Well, it's because they were des- well, desperate. Desperate, I think desperate. Not, not that desperate that early on in the war, but they just needed people, and so... It was either going to war or starving in England. Yeah, yeah. one or the other. Or... Yeah. Should we even mention the eleven-year-old boy who got his head caved in by seventeen-year-old? Seventeen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who that, finally appeared in the local paper? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> his dream. That was maybe a bit twee, but I feel like he sold it enough to where you could, you actually felt sorry for the lad because, mm-hmm. again, it's a boy who wants to contribute something. Yeah. Right, because he's obviously too young to serve. He's still in school. And, and the fact that his son actually lied to Cillian Murphy's character, Eddie. Like, yeah. When he, oh, he's going to be all right. And then he just left. And then you know that, yeah, he has to do that so it makes him feel happy. Yeah, because, like, well, because he, like, he, at first, he doesn't like him at all. But yeah, yeah. it's his father saying, look, this is a man who's shell-shocked. He might never recover. Don't push him over the edge. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we, we don't need that right now. Yeah. So he grew up. Uh, we see people mature, we see people change without talking. Yeah, uh, it's that's... all sold through you know, body language, through facial emotions. Again, we have proved that Tom Hardy doesn't need to have a mouth to sell his performance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you see his eyes to actually do the work. Yeah, once again, we never see his mouth until the very end of the movie. Yeah. Thank you, thank you very much. Tom Hardy here. No, <laughs> like, appreciate leave, it. Leave, goddammit! <laughs> I was in Batman, okay? <laughs> this has been Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah, I, I could go on and on about individual bits which I like, but just whole probably the closest I've seen to a perfect movie Shafiq what do you I think I believe you have some things you want to bring up about Dunkirk I thought it was alright yeah. uh, okay. and, and if anything I expected more from Christopher Nolan <laughs> okay uh, to be fair I kind of support Shafiq yeah. in this sense what this oh. is more or less an event film because you know it's about a freaking war it's about freaking Christopher Nolan too yes that too yeah but I at f- the same I feel like the soldiers of Dunkirk now I'm surrounded by the enemy <laughs> what we're not the enemy no we're not we don't have we're just being fair here yeah I'm but at the same time this is a good film but that's it I mean 
short roll film. I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that it actually went on to become something different than your Saving Private Ryan's or your Apocalypse Now or from your platoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, we know that Christopher Nolan's strength is always about the event, not so much the characters per se. I can see character building happening in that, but it's always jumping back and forth here and there. Sometimes okay. you want to find out more, but at the same time, I know why he did it that way. Okay. Which is why I felt that. Why did he do this, that way? You think? I mean, because he just wants to tell that story of claustrophobia and people in that event, so rather he was than like trying to capture the moments rather than the, the individuals. The individuals, so yes. So like basically, just like Baby Driver, all these people are like vessels and ciphers. But in Baby Driver, I felt that I actually connect. I mean, in a way, I felt mm. that hey, they're more a bit more hearty in a sense. No, there were say. there were characters, there were actual like people that you know were fully developed, and yeah. There were no, apart from one or two, no strong characters. Like the main main guy, maybe has three lines, but that's deliberate. That's him saying, it's not about the this one man. We're just mm. showing him because we want to show how everyone else just had a really harrowing three or four days. Yeah, For yeah. some people, even nine days. And I think that's a strength in this movie. So I'm surprised to see you kind of describe it as no, a weakness. No, no, it's a weakness per se because again, my 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 kind of films are something like uh, something a bit more. Not too character driven, but just enough for me for them to sell their emotions through the faces and all that. I see that in Dunkirk, but you know there's like you gotta focus more on like the one week that happened in Dunkirk. You gotta focus more on the one hour and the one day thing. It's already established at the start. Yeah. I appreciate that. Okay. And it's don't get me wrong, it's not a bad movie at all. It's a great yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But again, if you want me to pick my favorite film, yeah, definitely not Dunkirk. In that sense. Okay, uh so um I would say more like the I don't have any problem with Dunkirk, but my m- the major thing about Dunkirk is like, maybe it's also me hyping myself up too much because I, in a previous episode, okay, shout yeah, out doing to trailer trash, yeah, trailer, trailer trash. trash. You yes. said it was your film of the year. I was, to. I was like, you know, uh, earmarking it to be my film of the year, and when I walked in, the problem with Christopher Nolan movies is because it's Christopher Nolan movies. Like, I need to leave the cinema feeling like, oh my god, I experienced something. Yeah. So watching Dunkirk to me felt like watching Christopher Nolan do something, and just doing it well, but not doing it exceptionally well. There was no virtuosic, like, moment in the movie where there I was thought, no auto moments. There was no like, oh, here's that moment where like, yep, this is a fucking Christopher Nolan moment, I... which I think is good and bad. Like, good thing is like. Like I just also mentioned like previously, like Edgar Wright is trying to steer clear away from his past successes. So this is Christopher Nolan trying to tell a story, historically accurate. I can't vouch for that. You, it's yeah, pretty yeah. damn historical. From your from your own perspective, yes. Yeah. So like the thing is, one thing I have a problem with in Christopher Nolan movies is like he has this unnecessary need to convolute things. Like from his first movie, Memento, mm. all the way even to the Batman movies, like his like the character mov- motivations always seem to be like going all over the place. Dunkirk, he removed that. That is the one weakness he has. Okay. And it's very bare bones storytelling. It's all about survival. It's all about these young guys trying not to fucking die (laughs) and doing whatever it takes. You know, it was brilliantly done, brilliantly casted, brilliantly acted, brilliantly performed. And overall, I just felt like, okay, it's very good. It's not amazing. And that's the thing is, I don't hate this movie. Okay, it, yeah, yeah, I love it, but yeah. it's but it's not your favorite. It's not my favorite movie this year, but it's also not the best of what he can do. Mm. And like, he's done some pretty stellar work, some interstellar work. Okay, oh, so, so what do you think is could, is missing from Dunkirk from your perspective? So 
I'm gonna do what I always do, and I'm just gonna compare it to things that exist. Okay. okay. So you mentioned like movies like Platoon, mentions like uh, movies like Saving Private Ryan. Now the thing is about those movies is like the horrors of war are right there in front of you, and I'm very sure I agree with Tom on his point where he doesn't want that to be the standout moment. It's all about survival. It's a horror film. It's like there's a faceless monster out there, and we need to try our best to survive to the end of this like film. So the thing is, what's really missing is the war. It's like it felt like a very good escape movie, but at the same time, it's like I get why like we don't see the faceless. They're not even faceless. They're the non-existent German yeah. soldiers. You just see the bullets. Okay, but Harry uh, <laughs> Styles. It's a sign of the times. But anyway, no, but I'll also say this right. Okay, there's also uh, no, I, I don't say it's missing, but the lack of gore or the lack of like uh, uh, shell shock, the lack of it's not visceral enough. I think okay. if you I want something to hammer it, it needs home, to really se. punch me in the gut. And the thing is, the first four, like the the, the first two acts, right, felt perfect in its pacing and its suspense building and its thrill and just like you know how it's like a box closing in on you. Mm-hmm. And then when the release happens, when like you know all the tea kettle boats arrive with <laughs> like here come the reinforcements, huh? <laughs> And a, hello, <laughs> I rode all the way. And then Kenneth Branagh's, uh, you know, facial and then, like, all of a sudden, and all like that. you know, it starts this like you know, or- like orchestral sweep. Everybody's happy and cheering. And like, yeah. oh, well, didn't feel too bad after all, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you only have to worry about these three planes. Okay. Oh, here they come. Uh, get out of the way. All right, they're gone. All right, back yeah, in the queue. Just, just, Everybody, just, yeah. back in the queue. <laughs> you know, that's what it felt to me because it's like. And, I, and again, I get it. It has to be historically accurate. That probably is what happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. Like, you know, you, you face your destiny. You look up at the sky. Oh, here comes the bomb. Hope it doesn't get me. Oh, I'm fine. Okay, I'm back in the queue. But, like, the thing about war movies, the thing about good war movies, is you need that human drama, that the, the baselessness of war. Ooh, you know what I, mean? I think that's a good point you brought up. Like, because some of these war movies back then, they were sort of adapted to bring in that human element yeah, thing yeah. that you described Dunkirk I mean you, yes historical accuracy is there but maybe it's missing that dramatization uh, it's not missing not, uh, you don't get me wrong it's like I'm not saying that it lacks any emotional brevity but I'm just saying that you know I wanted more horror from the horrors of my war uh, so perhaps, perhaps but like I said the thing is like this is me speaking as like okay I'm a fan of war movies I'm a fan of Christopher Nolan and he's he chose this subject matter and I say props to him for pulling it off and for doing it the correct way like if he was to add elements or dramatize things like okay Tom would definitely go on a whole tirade yeah. oh I would not <laughs> shut the fuck up about yeah. it you know? and, but I, I, I'm hearing what you're saying but I can't agree just because I feel like it would have detracted from the message of what Which the I film agree. is about yeah, yeah, I totally agree, I totally agree. Yeah. Had going, because most people died because they drowned not because they were shot or because the bombs hit them it was 60,000 people died during the evacuation. More than half was because the boat sank and they couldn't escape. And I feel like the bit you're looking for, like the, the tour of war, wasn't you know the part where the ship got torpedoed and you have all these soldiers stuck in the holes. I mean, like, I just, found it there. Yeah. But at the same time, I also felt like, you know, maybe it's because of my personal experience with other films. It's like, you know, like I'm expecting a certain kind of gut punch when I watch a war movie. And I didn't get it here. And then it's me slowly watching this film and realizing it's not that kind of movie. Yeah. So, mm, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm trying to explain myself when it's like, I maybe hype myself up too much 
and when I went in, it wasn't disappointment, but it was more like, oh, he's doing something else. Maybe I should have like you know left some uh, you know aspirations at the door. And yeah. he still does an amazing job. I love this film, but uh, I mean, there's also a part of me like, you know, he could have if you had chosen a different scenario. It is a very difficult scenario to yeah. sell that kind of gut punch because. But he does it anyway because yeah. yeah. he's yeah. fucking Christopher Nolan. Yeah, he does it, and the film totally works. Yeah, for why, what it was. Any other director would have shat the bed with this scenario because oh, I agree. Yeah. it's very hard to make a stirring thing about the biggest military defeat and retreat in British military history. Mm-hmm. Like this is worse than the fall of Singapore. <laughs> You know, Shout out to Luke. Because Christopher Nolan wants to do a movie about that. Yeah. Oh, oh man. I would watch that in a heartbeat. Yeah, Can yes. you imagine that? That'd be like, you know, The Last Stand, but through incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> I would love Tom Hardy to be in that movie as well. Uh, sir, the Japanese, they're here. <laughs> they're here already. How did they get here so fast? Uh, they, they came by bicycle, sir. Bicycles? Impossible. There's nothing but jungle in Malaysia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, but anyway, yeah, okay. Uh, back to back to Dunkirk. Back to yeah. Dunkirk. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the complaints you guys have is because of the scenario they have, and mm. yeah, Christopher Nolan could have chosen any other military encounter where the British actually fought face to face. He could have done another D-Day landing thing and done an amazing D-Day landing film, just like, landing of Omaha Beach. But we've done that before. We've seen it before. Yeah, yeah, we have. And he's yeah. done something which no one has been able to make and make you want to watch it because it's a hard thing to watch, especially if you are proud of British military history, mm-hmm. to realize there was a time when we were so helpless, we had to rely on fucking pleasure cruisers mm-hmm. to get people mm-hmm. out because you know, we were saving the Royal Navy to actually fight the war. Like right now... We're washing our hands. We just have to deal with what we have. The hand we It was a dealt. technical decision, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, it wasn't a particularly bloody encounter, even though they were being bombed, just because of the way the beach was set up and because of the Germans choosing to just use the Luftwaffe instead of you know rolling with tanks. If they'd done that, yeah, it would have been your bloodbath that all you wanted. You would have. I mean, you would be at the mercy of the destroyers, which didn't even come in the first place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, and. I'm hearing your guys' uh, complaints and contractions, but I just can't agree that but, but they were... Yeah, wrong. It's yeah, not yeah, a complaint. We still appreciate not, the film. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not accusing you of hating the movie. I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. It's just that, personally, I'm not saying that this is a perfect film. There are some elements which kind of... Not irritated me, but maybe go, mm, I'm not sure about that particular choice. But they were so small where I'd have to be a real asshole to nitpick. Yeah, mostly nitpicking. Yeah. Your, your yeah, thing. Yeah. And it's just that any minor issues I have, I remember, you know, the scene where they're quivering in a hull while they're using a photography practice. Yeah. You know, the sinking, you know, the, the fucking dog fights. Mm. You know, they were short, but they were super intense. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and again, Tom Hardy, man, I want his eyes. I just, I, I want the top half of his face because he sells a movie just by the. I'm obviously a podcast is a bad way to explain no, it. His say, eyes going back and forth, like, like looking yeah, at the gas tank, spoilers, the broken tank, and yeah, all that. Like, like just his eyes like flickering as like that giant bomber lies yeah, in front of him, Jesus. and he's facing like, okay, I got no gas. If I don't take care of that, all these people will die. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I'm. Tom Hardy. Up to the part where he landed. Yeah, or the part where all the fuel ends and his engine just cuts out. And then it's such a haunting scene just seeing this perfectly quiet Spitfire just gliding gracefully over. Mm -hmm. And okay, maybe it's corny that everyone's cheering as he's flying back again, but 
he earned it because yeah. everyone knows he's likely going to die. Right? If he lands, he's going to get captured and be awfully um, dead. Yeah, mistreated by the Germans. So he earned that hero's parade as exactly. he flies by. And I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know what to say. Why did he land closer to the where the guys were? Because if, he, <laughs> because if he did one more turn, he wouldn't be able to get his landing gear out in time. Mm, yeah. Well, he had to go all the way straight. I think those planes. It took, back a, in the day, it took a while for him to crank it out. Also, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're designed to be aerodynamic enough to be able to glide back safely. Yeah, like, they're not like modern jet fighters where without the computer they're fucking dead in the water. Yeah, but you know they have such short turning circles where he would have dropped so many feet if he tried to turn. Yeah, and yeah, I I don't know what to say other than uh, I'm just gonna give my rating right now. Yeah, go perfect ahead. Perfect ten. It's a perfect ten. Perfect for you. ten for me. My uh, first perfect ten of the of the year, and <laughs> probably the only one. I would say that this, to me, I mean, it's not flawed. It just has elements that I was expecting that didn't exist, and like you know, that's very unfair for me. Mm-hmm. But based on its merit, uh, but okay, not even just based on its merit. Based on the fact that this is a Christopher Nolan movie, I would say it's a very strong eight and a half or eight. Okay, it's right. an eight out of ten for me. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so I have two haters here. Whereas, <laughs> wow! I hate the movie. You know, <laughs> I, I love you, it. You're following the video game journalist's uh, way of scoring Ab- games. Anything eight and below, oh shit! Oh yeah, shit! Like, <laughs> how, how could you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, before we wrap up, I just want to mention a few things about Tom Hardy. Hello, Tom uh, Hardy. I mean, <laughs> hey, you're back again in the studio. I mean, right? I could suck Tom Hardy's dick from now into eternity, but... Just looking to my right eyes. Here. I'm just saying, <laughs> on a personal note, I do have family members that were involved during World War II. Not uh, yes. at Dunkirk, but I can guarantee you that my grandfather knew friends who were on the beaches. Mm. And, you know, stories alone from what my grandparents experienced... Uh, World War II was a shitty, shitty time for everyone involved. And dude, we're in Asia. We got it from the Japanese. People. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm pretty bad, super I'm, bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm not detracting at all from the experiences here. I'm just saying that personally, close to home, this is what happened, and it's good that we finally have a film which just shows that aspect of a really bad time. Mm-hmm. And I want them to do other parts. I I want to see a, a slice of life film where they go through the London Blitz. I want them to do you know the fall of the the Low Countries. Yeah, the bombing of Birmingham during the first Blitzkrieg. Yeah, uh, oh shit! I want them to, to show the bombing of Dresden because that was a, be, that was ooh, a fucking wow. shit show. Mm. Like you know, you know, before Napalm they had fire bombs, mm-hmm. and they did that. They shot down a boys' choir trying to sing to the survivors. Oh my god! And that was the Allies. That was the U.S. Air Force gunning down children. Like this war sucked, man. And so we finally have a film. Well, not finally, but we have another film which doesn't glorify it. Mm-hmm. It's no like you know hero worship. It's just we made the best out of a shit pile. Yeah. That is one thing that I want to kind of also mention is that yeah, Christopher Nolan nailed that the most. Where yeah. it's yeah. like no, there's nothing glorious he it, or amazing yeah. or heroic. These are just human beings. And like if anything, like the one thing that just kept me involved and invested throughout the entire film was basically just that sheer humanity oh, yeah. that was like you know prevalent throughout the entire film just like just even seeing like the that lady giving the boys like you know biscuits with jam yeah, and tea yeah, yeah. it's like oh no she's not gonna make it you know and you look at it and it's like it's so matter of fact but that's how it was yeah mm-hmm. and you the know? fact that you have some people like losing themselves like Cillian Murphy is you know he's the PTSD soldier he's the one where this is the worst that could possibly happen to someone. But for the most part, people were keeping an element of what made them British. I mean, this is going to sound really corny, but 
that's what I appreciate as well. I mean, it's showing the kind of you like you know, best of times, worst of times, and that's Dickens. Um, mm. Darkest hour moments, which isn't shown enough and isn't talked about in discourse enough because in when we remember, well, well, we either remember the fallen or remember the hero moments. We don't show the people who just survived, and yeah. It's a story of survival. I mean, that was the that was the the line for me at the end of the film when like it's like you know oh, we didn't do anything we just survived that's enough that yeah, is enough sometimes that's all you need that's all you yeah. need to do like fuck war <laughs> yeah and I'm glad that they did include Churchill's famous we shall fight them on the beaches we shall fight them on the landing grounds they included it but they had the main character reading it out rather than yeah. cutting to Churchill's um, radio address making it too Hollywood yeah that would have. That would have immediately dropped a couple of points in my book because that's <laughs> so corny. That's the cliché thing that one yeah. would do. Yeah, even the point film. where he's reading it and he get gets interrupted by Harry. So it's like, what are you talking about? Oh, I, I'm reading this part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut up, Harry Styles. Yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> the sign the- of the times. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, but you know, when they're in the water and uh, the oil starts lighting up, that really lit up their world like nothing else. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And with that, and with that bombshell, <laughs> we, we be, are signing up. We yeah. should be ending this episode. So, yeah. if anything, watch Dunkirk, watch Baby Driver. You yes, know? Baby Driver. Mr. Toffee's favorite film of 2017. Yeah, and watch Planet of the Apes if it's still in cinema. War oh, for the Planet of the Apes. All these war movies and these driving movies driving me crazy to war. Anyway, <laughs> yes. let's sign up. That should right be now. another movie. So, uh, okay. This is Tom Hardy. Um, yes, uh, I got a very low uh, fuel and I'm going to crash into the ocean. So uh, I'll be signing off the last game podcast. Um, uh, coming up to my other pilot, uh, uh, Fortress One. Hi, first of all, Tron, this is Extinction Tom. I'm also planning, uh, falling into... We've really not planned this fuel out well at all. I've run out as well. No, oh, yes. And uh, also uh, on my left side, we have... Uh, Fortress 3, Mr. Toffee. Uh, Fortress 3. And, uh, Got a crash oh, too. Oh, well, all three of us are crashing in a big pile of flames. And, well, uh, no flames. Dying in the base of glory. And of course, yeah. uh, right now in the ocean, uh, we have uh, Dr. Shafiq uh, slowly sinking to his doom. Uh, we will miss him so much. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, this has been Tom Hardy. Thank you. Sunny up. BBC. <laughs>